Welcome to David Clark's We Are Superman podcast, episode number 291. I am your host, Bill Stahl. Helping and honoring our military veterans was deeply meaningful to David, and he helped support them with his American Heroes run. As you may know, I now direct the event to continue his important legacy. Proceeds support Warriors Ascent, an organization that provides holistic programs to veterans and first responders experiencing post-traumatic stress. Treating veterans with this not-as-visible type of battlefield injury has often gone overlooked by the Veterans Administration and organizations that support veterans. I became aware of Iraq War veteran Gene Bennett's story and received a copy of his chilling book, We Did Not Deserve the Crapper, The Prison We Entered But Never Fully Left. Gene served two tours in Iraq. At first, the Army used him as a truck tire mechanic, but as sometimes happens, they assigned him where needed, and with just a smattering of training, he ended up as a prison guard. Gene, whose call sign was Spazmaster Flex, termed this job the worst babysitting job ever. In 130-degree heat, often walking on metal grating during all-day or all-night shifts, He was tasked with guarding a violent population where Sunnis and Shia often clashed and often meted out their own versions of justice, which could be death. Of course, they all wanted to kill the Americans. To make it worse, the prison comprised both adult and juvenile sections. At one point, an eight-year-old was detained and a riot broke out until this child was released. On his watch, an Iraqi teen was murdered, something which continues to haunt Jean. He also witnessed several incidents of horrible atrocities and jaw-dropping leadership ineptitude committed by the U.S. military officers. His PTSD and depression no doubt were exacerbated by a difficult childhood in a dysfunctional family. Gene has been fighting back by working to get his fellow veterans improved treatment from the VA, as well as to write a cookbook to help them take better care of themselves. He's also creating an innovative line of meat smokers. Gene and I had a very engaging conversation that I think will keep you on the edge of your seat. I'd highly recommend you read his book to get a bird's-eye look at one veteran's deployment that will leave you shaking your head, but also rooting for this hero to emerge on the other side in a better place. A spring is round the corner, and UESCA certified coach Mickey McConaughey and I have just what you may need to maximize your 2024 running goals. She and I have begun the Be Positive Runners community. Mickey and I will provide you customized, personalized workouts on the Training Peaks app, and we'll have group online calls where you can share experiences, tips, and provide encouragement to one another. Hopefully this will develop into group trips to goal races. We'll initially limit the community to 10 motivated individuals who want to help themselves and others knock out their 2024 goals. If interested, shoot me a message at silly underscore billy at msn.com or on Facebook or Instagram messengers, and we can talk to see if you would like to be a B-positive runner to achieve more in 2024, or mention it to a friend who you think could use this kind of positive community. Okay, now here is Gene Bennett and me. Good afternoon there, sir. How are you doing? Oh, I am just ducky, dude. I am. <laughs> I'm good. All right. Well, it's uh, good to talk to you here from uh, Salisbury, North Carolina, which is uh, kind of out in the boonies northeast of Charlotte, eh? Yeah. Yeah. About half. Well, if you drive like a maniac like I do, it's about a half hour. If you drive sensibly, it's about 45 minutes to an hour. 
All right. Well, don't be like that guy who just got nailed um, by the Colorado State Patrol recently, who apparently he gets on TikTok and makes these videos. He, w- he was doing 150 miles an hour, made it from Colorado Springs to Denver in 20 minutes. Of course, dumbass goes and posts it. And guess what? They picked him up. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, yeah. That, yeah. That's why this generation will never be what what we were. They, they yeah. Yeah. Not, not the smartest, right? <laughs> no. Well, good. 150, 150 miles an hour. That's not bad. It's not, no, bad, it's at not all. bad. Yeah. But yeah, he was on a motorcycle weaving in and out of traffic, mm-hmm. you know, creating all sorts of havoc. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's nice to see you can make it from the Springs to Denver in 20 minutes, I guess. I know I've alive and in one piece. <laughs> yeah. I mean, barely a plane can do that. So yeah. Uh, well, good. Well, hey, uh, this is really uh, exciting to get a chance to meet you here and everything. Um, you've just come out with a book here. Uh, let's actually, I should probably uh, hold it up for the camera here. Uh, called uh we did not deserve the crapper the prison mm-hmm. we entered but never fully left yep and uh uh it, it is a big book but uh, i sat down and uh, i was snowed in on saturday so that's when i plowed through a lot of this and um it, it was uh we were just talking off air it, it was certainly graphic uh mm-hmm. tells a lot of a uh, couple tours in iraq that you had mm-hmm. as well as uh your upbringing and uh you know whole yeah. uh i i would say you've had your share of uh uh, what would I call it? Uh, dysfunction. I, I yes, guess. Yes. Throughout your lifetime there between mm-hmm. uh, being the things you're uh, exposed to by your family to mm-hmm. uh, not just exposed to in the uh, Marines, but a whole mm-hmm. lot more. Mm-hmm. You were, you were neck deep in it and beyond. <clears throat> yeah. Um, that actually, uh, the thing about that was my editor, my first, first editor, he told me he needed he I put that one story at the very end of the book about my childhood waiting for my parents sitting at the front at, at the front uh window in the living room. Right. I just put that at the end of the book and it was only 264 pages at the time. He's like I need more content. I need that. That's some of your best stuff right there. I'm like and I'm like but he didn't give me any lateral limits or anything. He didn't give me any rules of engagement so to speak. So I just went hog wild. That's where the rest of the yeah, that's where the rest of it came from because he never he again he never gave me rules of engagement. So I just went hog wild, assuming he needed more and more and more content, and that's where a lot more of the collaborations came in. Yeah, whenever you write a book, if you're going to end up collaborating, it's going to fry. That's you're going to become the the project manager you don't want to be because you've got to edit stuff, you've got to constantly revisit interviews. Right, and here's the thing I'm gonna share with you got If you're gonna be a writer and you're ever gonna collaborate with people, listen to me very carefully. At what I'm about to say, when you interview people, not only can you not censor them, you have to actively, actively, actively discourage them from censoring themselves, and your active listening skills need to. Forget bump up a level. You your your active listening skills need to peak. You need to have your absolute best active listening skills humanly possible to get the most raw, authentic content from their brain into a notebook or a laptop. I'm telling you that that you you need that or you're screwed. Right. From a content standpoint. Well, I mean, that's the basic premise of journalism, which essentially, you know, when you're interviewing somebody, that's what it's all about. And, you know, one of the biggest problems in society in general, even, is when people are having conversation with you, most people are thinking, well, what's the next thing I'm going to say? 
and yeah, well, wrong approach. I mean, what you got to be thinking is you got to absorb what that person is saying and be able to respond appropriately to be able to continue the conversation without like, oh, this is what's important to me. Dude, active listening as a skill is dead in this society. It is dead. It's like Latin. It's like Latin in college. That's the only place it's alive. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's just, it just is. And all we can do is just try to have the most basic conversations with people and try to lovingly, without strangling them, explain the concept of listening, listening actively and not censoring people. Yeah, that's all we absolutely. Do. And as a book editor myself, Gene, mm-hmm. um, to me, it's it's your story. So it's mm-hmm. not for me to interject. You know, I, I know your your um, editor said, "Hey, you need more content," mm-hmm. but it's not for me to tell you what content. I want you to tell the story, basically. Right. So uh, right, you know, right. I, I think that's fair to to not have rigid rules of engagement. I mean, there, there might be some. I mean, they they at least have to give you general direction, like a guidepost. No. A guide. Yeah, we need yeah, guideposts. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, how difficult was it for you? Now, I know a lot of authors who have told me, um, especially you know, because I'm in the uh, ultra-endurance field, a lot mm-hmm. of people tell me it's as tough as running an ultra-marathon to be able to spill your guts, especially when it's a memoir type of writing. Well, here's the problem with mine. It wasn't just my story. Yes, it was, I had my guy, one of my guys, who uh, the, uh, the uh, Wyatt Earp character says, it's your book. And I'm like, no, it's our book because that 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 guy literally he by the time I was done interviewing him, he was having body convulsions and crying. And I'm like, this dude, if this dude's strapped, he's gonna PTSD the whole damn house. So yeah, when you're interviewing people as a part of your book, because what, what happened was it went from me getting information from them as confirmation to collaborations where they were fully in the book as characters. Okay, that okay. I I it it probably would have been easier had I not had I not had a stroke apparently because when the IED that went off in uh in that MRAP ambulance uh, episode that you read about yeah that's the one that rattled my eyes and my sockets and it rattled my colon in my gut. Yeah, you talked okay. about everything rattling. <laughs> I mean, it was yeah. It, I got ra- I got rattled really good. So that stroke didn't help matters any for one. And for two, I lost count of about 10 people I collaborated with in the book between the guys in Baghdad and the, and the, 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 my family members, uh, what my aunt in the book, Ballbuster six, literally the day it came out, you need to take this back and you need to re-edit this because it's offensive. And I'm like, too late. I'm like, I got an engineer buddy. I'm like, can you please invent a way for me to reach through the through the phone screen and choke the hell out of my aunt? <laughs> oh, I wanted to kill her. Right. I, I, literally, I blocked her the day she said that, and I haven't talked to her since. And it's not even that I hate really? her. It's just that I'm. I. It's like me wanting to reach through the phone to strangle her. It's like somebody hit the pause button. I'm still. I'm like right here, wanting to strangle her still. Yeah. But yeah. So it, it's, it's one of those things. If you, it's going to stretch you to your limit. It's good because there's a constant revising and re-interviewing element to writing a book. Then you've got to find somebody who's going to edit it, who will be dispassionate without gutting it disrespectfully. Okay. And, and yeah, that, that's a, a cap here. I'm, I'm like, that's I saw the tail. I'm like, what? Yeah. Yeah. There's what? a tail. <laughs> As long as she's not on the soundboard, that's all that matters. Nope, she's happy on my lap here. This is all right. Good, 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 good. And keep her there after Babe Ruth. So yeah, it's 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 an, and I don't have a formal education in writing. I just I just write conversationally. It's what everybody likes, anyways. Right. 
So it, and the problem is I didn't really have a plan. I just, I, the entire book was me flying by the seat of my pants, figuring it out as I went along. So it was probably, I'm not saying it was as hard as combat from, from just a sheer difficulty uh, standpoint, but the stress of getting it right probably aged me 10 years. I'm not even joking. I'm not joking. It's, it's an undertaking that you need to brace yourself for, and you'll be half dead spiritually and emotionally by, and mentally by the time you're done with it. Well, when writing about stuff like that, I can imagine, yeah. Yeah, especially when a couple of your characters, one of your characters, the, the Staff Sergeant Nambla character, there's a part of me in my heart and my soul and my spirit that will never allow myself to believe he's dead unless I see him dead right. or I make him dead. Yeah. He's that dude you don't turn your back on. You don't the, the the he's the uncle that the family doesn't leave the kids alone with. He's that he's cuckoo for something a whole lot more potent than cocoa puffs. Right. So right. yeah. Yeah, you mentioned in there, I mean, this was a, a particularly repre reprehensible character in, in your experience over in Iraq. But yeah, here's a guy who basically has kind of disappeared off the face of the earth, or at least you were told just don't look for him. You, you just like, don't, don't take it any further. He's yeah. I was told that. Yeah. I was literally told shut up and stop asking about him. Yeah. So uh, tell folks listening, like what was, uh, you know, if you can capsulize it, cause you know, obviously if, if you went through the, uh, your whole description, Nambla, we take up the whole podcast, but yeah. Just give okay. an overview of uh, Staff Sergeant Nambla. Yeah. Staff Sergeant Nambla. He was the really, really super smart guy. He was evil as hell. He was per he he was he was perverse on a level I don't even wanna I couldn't accurately or I, I couldn't describe without changing the rating of the podcast, so to speak. Right. He he was that he, he was that dude that would that would activate your nimble your uh your uh limbic system, that savage part of you, the fight or flight part of you. Yeah. He just activated that part of you. He was so evil. He he was the guy nobody ever turned their backs on, but he was super intelligent. So it's kind of confusing for you because it's like, he's super intelligent, but dude gives me the creeps. He walked up behind me after the investigation because they, they put him, you don't put NCOs on water runs and stuff like that. You just don't do that. That's something you delegate to the E4 mafia. Okay. Right. He walked up behind me and he dragged his hand across the my entire backside across my my tricep across my mid back and he just looked and, and like my I felt a shiver run up my spine that I've never felt a shiver so violent run up my spine and I wanted to kill him right then and there that was I my my, my he tested my restraint okay yep. he tested my restraint on a level I never thought would be tested if you want to get spiritual yeah, you know, they always say, God, uh, you know, y y y all those fire and brimstone preachers say, you know, that you're a sinner and this, that, and the other. He tested my restraint as a sinner on in, in a couple of different spots in the book. Yeah. Like, I've never been so tempted to kill someone the way I was tempted to kill him. Right. I mean, like, like I, I would not shoot him because that would be letting him off easy. That's how much I hated him. And it's taken me years to not hate him. I went, for, I, if I had to give a progress thing, I was at a hundred percent. When I came home, I would just kill him dead 10 ways from Sunday, not shooting him. Like, 
violent, barbaric, I'm talking like Viking Blood Eagle evil. Yeah. Yeah. Just Google Bla- Bla- Viking Blood Eagle. You see what I mean? And now <laughs> I'm like 52% shoot him or 52% kill him from rage and 48%. I'll use the term threat assessment because he is cuckoo for something a whole lot more. He is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs for sure. Yeah. But now it's a lot more. Okay, this dude's nuts. He needs to, just for the greater good. He needs to be put down like Cujo should have been put down at the beginning of the movie. There you go. <laughs> there you go. That's the, my assessment of the Staff Sergeant Nambla character. Okay, hey, I want to come back to Staff Sergeant Nambla a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let me just step back real quickly here because yeah. listeners are probably like, "Well, what the hell is he talking about here?" Mm-hmm. Let's describe first of all the fact that um, you had two tours of Iraq. Mm-hmm. You know, basically, you were a mechanic. Who mm-hmm. got and, and kind of your your book kind of starts off talking about your second tour specifically. Mm-hmm. So that's the one where Nambla and some of the other uh, ca- characters, Mister Pink and Mister Orange, and these yeah. guys came yeah. in. Um, but the second tour, you were told the army needs a prison guard, and you, you got you got sent over to uh, one of the most screwed up environments uh, mm-hmm. you can imagine. So yeah. tell folks a little bit more about that and what that was all about. Okay. The 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 five most horrifying words a soldier will ever hear is the needs of the army. Right. Which is we're gonna put you where we wanna put you and you're just gonna get the hang of it. That that's the end of the discussion. Yeah. Okay. The second deployment was so the, the first the second deployment was so bad, it made the first deployment look like a, a deployment to Qatar, which is the that's where we would take R and R. That's where the Air Force dudes go. When they want, oh, I did a, I did a combat tour. I was in Qatar, and everybody, and all the army guys and the marines will laugh at them, dude. This is where we take R and R. You're that soft. We get right, it. Right. It's cute. Yeah. No. Um. The second deployment was so bad it made the second, the first put deployment look easy. Yeah. And I went with that one first because I was never originally, originally I was only going to write about part two, and that was going to be it. Yeah. But all the collaborations made. Part one just turned it, it made it so big. I had to separate part two from part one, or I I had to separate it out somehow. Right. So it became part two was about the second juvie murder. Part one was about the first juvie murder. And all the collaborations that came out of it kind of broke off into their own individual stories in part three. It got, it just, it yeah. got, I, I, my inner perfectionist was half out of his mind because it got so out of control. I had to separate it out. Right. But with, 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 with the staff Sergeant Nambla character, he was originally Jag. He was originally Jag. And it's one of those things where they want, okay. The only thing everybody in the con, in the, in the internment facility agreed on we wanted Nambla crucified. Like, if we could go get across, dig a hole, you know, get a post hole digger and dig a hole, put it and literally crucify him in front of the whole internment facility, <laughs> we would have done it. Yeah, we so- hated him that much. The reason, uh, the reason for the name Staff Sergeant Nambla was from the Hillbilly Thor character. He first suggested it, but everybody really wanted to name that anyways. Yeah. Okay. That was then that guy, that guy and the, the uh, Wyatt Earp character, those are my two characters that I am the most protective of because the Wyatt Earp character in the process of me literally interviewing him in in my living room at the place I was running out, out of, 
He literally had, by the end of the interview, he was having full body convulsions and wow. crying. Like, I'm like, oh my crap, he's going to lose it. He is, if he's strapped, he's going to PTSD the whole damn house. Okay. So him and, and, and uh, the, the hillbilly Thor character, he literally had to be drunk and, and stoned to tell the stories that I was writing about for him. Wow. So I'm, those are my two guys that I am like, I like axe murder protective of. I love them. They're, they're my little baby brothers and I love them and I will protect them at all costs, whether they want to be protected or not. Yeah. Why, why did you form such a tight bond with these two? Because they were the ones that had the most, the most violent reactions to telling their stories. Yeah. They had, they, they, they were, they were just so visceral and raw and like the Wyatt Earp character's reaction because he was literally in the couch, like literally on the couch, five feet away from me. He was literally having reactions. And my other guy that I spent some time with after the book finally got published, he and I talked about it and he, he let his guard down a little bit. And it's like, I will never regret doing this for them after that. Never. I will regret not doing it as smartly as what I could have done it, but I will, I would do it again in a heartbeat for them yeah. because I love them that much. Yeah. Well, what was their reaction when you approached them with the idea of interviewing them about, you know, basically br- digging up emotions that, you know, as you know, a lot of veterans who, who bury those kind of things, you know, what, what did they say to you? Like, were they like, yeah, hell yeah. We need to get your story out. Or were they like, eh, I was, oh. I was at a gym in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And I, it was like 12, literally 1230 in the morning. I had enough, I, I just got my pre-workout on my gut and we as veterans probably consider, consume dangerous amounts of caffeine. So I had dangerous amounts of caffeine in my system <laughs> and uh, I was talking to this one dude and I told a, 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 war, a little war story, you know, we were having a conversation. I told I, it segued into one of my stories. He's like, dude, you should write a book. So I whip out my ancient, ancient, ancient MacBook Pro, which is now 12 years old. Whipped it open, got on the gym's crappy, crappy Wi-Fi, got in a Facebook Messenger at the time, which is ancient by today's standards. Uh, and I got my four guys in there that were in my compound. I said, I want to tell our story. And I said, if you are 99% behind me, the story dies. You have to be 100% without hesitation. The Mr. Pink character who was in Afghanistan at the time said, do it, I got your back. The other three guys, three hours later, said do it i got your back and one of them introduced me the the happy uh, the the uh nice guy eddie character introduced me to the hillbilly thor character that i ended up talking with him about hmm. okay. and the wyatt earp character i just kind of met randomly we just met in lacrosse and we started talking about stuff and he told me that he was a prison guard down in buka which is who whoever the dumb bastard was who thought it was a good idea to build a prison on top of a garbage dump. Yeah, they literally built a prison on, on top of a gar- garbage dump. They would toss their weapons in the garbage dump. So if they wanted weapons like AKs. If they wanted AKs, they just started digging. Okay? <laughs> yes! Wow. They're that stupid. Yeah. yeah. Yes. This is this is why America never wins wars anymore, because their allies are just, just dumb. Yeah. <laughs> but... but, but yeah. Yeah, um, now, with my guys, it was, I, I I did it right there and then, and it was one of those beautiful moments where my brain wasn't spinning because I just 
whenever as soon as he said it, I literally because my my free work I was still kicking in anyways. I just whipped open the laptop and just did it, and it just happened. So that's how it went down. Nice. All right. Well, I mean, so the prison you were at, yeah, was Iraqi de- detainees who mm-hmm. just swept up for whatever reason. They might have been terrorists. They might have just been relatives, whatever. But you you kind of had two sections. You had the adult section and uh-huh. you had the juvenile section, which, yep. as you talked about, w- was really messed up. How they even decided who went where half the time. But well, um, but right. nevertheless, there was th- that interplay. Where mm-hmm. you had adults who could potentially poison the minds of, of the younger ones oh. to, to, to radicalize those kids too, you know. I mean, just everything was just messed up about the whole setup. And just when you describe, you know, what it was like to patrol, you did twelve-hour shifts, six mm-hmm. hours up above on a metal grate platform, basically six hours down on the ground, sweating your balls off all the time. Dude, I mean, dude just, brutal. Yeah, my feet have not forgiven me for for still. To this day, for have not forgiven me for all the hours I spent up on that catwalk. Oh, yeah. Like I'm pretty much. I'm pretty sure I'm gonna have like diabetic neuropathy because of that shit forever and ever and ever. I look at I look at grading like that now, and my feet instantly start hurting like hell. Not a joke. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. Let me throw an explanation there real quick. As far as that yeah. the separation is concerned, the juveniles. Um, we were actually the only internment facility that housed juveniles in Iraq. And because of the investigation that went down, apparently that two star, the two star that was running the prison system, according to the two guys who were interrogating me over the incident and involving, uh, some detainee abuse, he was pissed at me because I was jeopard. My, the investigation that I apparently initially started, which wasn't my, it, it, yeah, it's a, it's Yeah. That was a known narc dragging me into a bad situation to make himself look good. But as far as the, before I got there, it was even worse as far as the adults were concerned because, okay, my, one of my Intel guys, uh, I used to call him Irish mobster. He was, he was awesome. He hated Paul Bremer because the first, one of the first things Paul Bremer did it's like in Nazi Germany, everybody was Nazi because it was kind of mandatory funds, so to speak. Being a part of the bath party was compulsory. It was mandatory fun. So what's the first thing that dumb bastard did? He fired everyone. He caused that. Yeah. My Intel guy, will, would, if he was alive today, he would tell you that dumb bastard caused 90% of the problems, post, uh, occupation problems post you know, invasion, post, whatever. So all the Bath Party guys and your elite Republican guard were getting arrested on purpose to get thrown into the prison system to hide because they were, weren't really segregating them properly. So the prisoners were getting a first-rate education, a first-rate prison education before yeah. we finally started weeding them out. Okay? And the prison I was in was a minimum security transition prison from either... It was either minimum, minimum, like a minimal sentence, like almost like almost county jail, yeah. or they were be sending, being sent to more, more heavy, more uh, heavy security prisons. You know. Oh, okay. So, yeah. so I was in this transit because th- there were no. All it was was concertina, and it's not barbed wire, it's not razor wire, it's concertina wire. All right. these turds on on the news calling it razor wire, it's concertina wire. You mouth breather. 
Anyways, <laughs> is there a difference, or is it just uh, it's just, just terminology. it's terminology, really? Yeah. But you okay. know, I'm I'm just you know, yeah, yeah. I'd right. like them to at least ha- make a half-ass attempt at being correct and using terminology. Because fair enough. Yeah. Anyways, no, no, no. It, it, it we were pretty. We had there was one incident that I found horrifyingly funny because there was a kid. Like, here's where things get horrible. You want to talk about you know separating people out. Forget the whole bath party hiding in the prison system before they were properly um, um, segregated. Oh, no, 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 no. Here's the funny. Apparently, we blew up everything in Iraq. Like, okay. and, and like when it comes to records, like the, the rule was if as an adult, you could be we, the, you could be walking into the prison. I could be escorting you into the prison. And if there was not a, a a birth certificate on you, you could claim to be 17 years old. You could be 17 years old for one year. We could put you in with the children. Right. Yes. Yeah. Even though you might have been 30-something or 40-something. Or, or your age. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I'm not. Yeah, yeah no, I'm, a joke. I know. Yeah. And then there's this horrible, this horrible part where this kid, he was like 17, 18, and we're like, and one of the E sevens from in, inside the talk came with his birth certificate, and we're like, you know what, just cut him a break because literally he's on this side pleading for his life, and all the adults were over here. Because this, this is tight, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was a young man who obviously knew. Yeah, he was going to be. Uh, he was going to be everybody's uh, favorite uh, Thursday night or whatever you call it. Yeah, the, 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 it's called No Man Love Thursday. Yeah, right. He was about he he basically he was fighting to not get the man love Thursday of his damn life the day he stepped foot over there on that side. Right. And well And some heartless bastard said, Nope, throw him over there with the adults. That that was the seven. And we were like, hey, cut him a break. Cut him a damn break. Right. And he's like, No, over you go. And well, let's just say he wasn't. You could tell the way he was walking the next morning that he didn't yeah. get a break. Lived right down to his expectations, right? Yeah, and that, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that that it's quite a culture shock. It's quite a shock in, in period to to experience the way they did things and 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 to deal with that as professionally as you could without losing your mind because it, it was yeah. really an assault on westernized expectations on what civility and and love and respect and all that are it was and it was not it was an absolute assault on those sensibilities That's yeah well i mean first it. of all you're dealing with this prison environment people yeah. who hadn't necessarily committed crimes they were there a lot of them for political reasons and it, it was yeah. one more thing i'm gonna jump in yeah, and throw yeah. that in here for- sure all right gene we are resuming after a very unple or what do i say a very rude Power interruption by XL Energy here or something. My, my, oh, we need to have a talk with them. Yes, we do. So, uh, yeah, we had uh, the lights go out here for a couple of minutes here, but we are back in business. So uh, this may sound a little disjointed, but uh, we were talking a little bit about the separation of prisoners where you were. Okay. we were the First of all, we were the only interment facility in all of Iraq to house juveniles. Matter of fact, my the investigation that that uh, that I uh, was a part of, uh, apparently the two star running the prison system was pissed at me because it jeopardized his program he had for the juveniles, and his plan was to remove the juveniles from the prison system altogether 
and put them in what we call a challenge academy style setup to rehabilitate them and turn them into some to something I don't want to say westernized but something non ideological like Al Qaeda and ISIS and da 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 and my apparently what I did jeopardized that but, but it, what it was before I got in the prison into that prison where where I was stationed at it was uh, it was called Camp Cropper which, which ironically means complete and utter failure because Paul Bremer that mouth breathing simpleton according to my intel buddy and I agree with him. He fired all the bath party, everybody in the bath party, which was pretty much everybody because it was what we would call in the military called mandatory fun. You were doing it whether you like it or not. Yeah. So it, it was it was the average civilians who were getting, the Marines were sweeping up all the male civilians so they weren't being used as suicide bombers, you know? Right. Which, which was based on how much opium was being turned into, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, whatever, uh, heroin, so they could use them, so they could drug them up so it was easier for them to... Com- to press the button, you know, and um, so it was average Joe civilian getting caught up in the sweep. You got your bath party officials and your elite Republican guard that were per- that were purposely getting arrested so they could hide in the prison system in, in its cur- in, in that state at the time. And then you had the juveniles. Well, and I was going to say so, these guys hiding in the system there, they get themselves free room and board, basically free room and board, and they they, they developed this weird habit. Um, they made two products. One we approved of because they were less likely to beat each other's asses because they were getting. We called it Tainer Hooch, and then they had Tainer Yogurt, the most disgusting. Cra- they basically okay. You got those little cups or those little those little uh, apple juice boxes, right? Yeah. They drank all the apple juice out of them. They opened the top up. They'd put yogurt in it for the Tainer Yogurt, and they basically let it go rotten, and they drank it, and they got sick because they're dumb. <laughs> Plus, they would if they would get sick, they would stay in the prison longer. They collect more money, and they get to live, you know, reasonably in, in a reasonably air conditioned environment. Yada yada yada. They were just chilling. Yeah, the Tainer Hooch. They do the same thing with a box, but they put fruit in it and let it sit and ferment for a couple of days, and they get a nice buzz. And if they were getting a nice buzz, they were less likely to beat each other's asses. So that's the one we encourage. Right. Go ahead, get buzzed as you want, as long as you're not beating the crap out of each other. Okay, sure. So yeah, that that's how that worked. But yeah, it was the 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 juvies, the sweet the 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 ones that got swept up. You had the actual terrorists from all over Europe, you know, and all over the Middle East, right? And then you eventually they weeded out the Bath Party officials into what we affectionately referred to as Compound Five. And I could never write about Compound Five because anytime I ever tried to talk to anybody about it about it they were like i sign an nda shut up and stop asking me about compound five but yeah that's where saddam and Tariq aziz by the way and a practicing catholic kind of mind-blowing yeah and all the other high value targets were that's where a lot of your bath party scientists and your elite republican guards ended up at Hmm. i think all right so yeah that's that was the that's a rudimentary that's the rudimentary separation. Yeah, as far as that and, and just for listeners, uh, Tainer is what you called the detainees. Yeah, we call them detainees. Yeah, Tainer was just a belligerent way of calling them detainees. Right. And, and the, the weird thing about that was when we went through our sensitivity training classes, they're like, so we can they can stab each other, they can beat each other, they can decapitate each other, they can they can do no no man love Thursday butt sex from here to eternity. But God help us all if we called it. 
Calling them tainers is the hill you're going to die on, really. Really? Yeah. <laughs> right. And I was trying to get thrown out of that. I, I tried everything I could to get thrown out of those t- sensitivity training classes, but they wouldn't throw me out. And it's like, how belligerent do I have to be to get thrown out of a sensitivity, sensitivity training class? See, I think that's you know. that, that was the point. If you were belligerent, you needed the sensitivity class in their mind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I suppose. Then the, the juvie section um, went up to age seventeen, and oh. I think the youngest you said was maybe like twelve or something. Eight, eight. Holy crap! Eight. Yeah. So they so, eight-year-olds yeah, no, behind bars. I'm yeah. sitting there. I'm sitting there. They're walking this kid, and I'm like, "Oh hell no! No 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 no!" And we're all okay. Here's the thing. Here's here's where it's bad. The moderates who never say squat, they never say squat. And the first thing we said to them as soon as we saw the kid, this was not our idea. We're literally, we did not. This is not our idea. We're against this as much as you are. Don't blame us for this shit. Pardon my language. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> Pardon. They're like, this is the, this is the tox fault. This that's the first thing we said. This is the tox fault. You blame this on them. I mean, just without even thinking. And they're like, and the moderates never, ever make threats, mind you, before I tell you this. They're like, you have 24 hours to get that kid out of this. First of all, the first thing he said was, you keep him in 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 the uh, rec, little rec yard that we had in there. You keep him where we can see him. Like, sure. Yeah. And when you tell the kids, you keep him right there. You don't, you don't move him. If you move him, we're coming in to get him. Okay. So, and we delivered the message. They had him out in, I want to say three to four hours. They had him out because I he he came in and I'm like, all hell's about to break loose. And we explained this to them. And they're like, here's the thing. The Sunni and the Shia never, never, ever, never, ever riot together. Yeah. They threatened to riot together because of that kid. He was eight years old. He was in there three to four hours tops. Right, and we're like, whoever it's like, that's pretty much between that and the two juvenile murders. That that was where the real separation between the talk and the compounds really came from. Because it's like, you can't be that stupid. You you cannot be. You have. We're like, it's we're screaming at them from the top of our lungs to not do this things like this and all of their the problem was the, that that was the third written in blood policy that pretty much killed uh, any kind of working relationship between the talk and the compounds yeah and the specifically to- compound 3 because we had juveniles yeah, yeah. And, and just for listeners talk stands for tactical tactical operations center yeah. basically yeah the higher ups yeah. yeah 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 the brass right right exactly so um what you already had prisoners who hated your guts. If you were to walk in that compound, uh, they would just murder you if, if given the opportunity. And then on top <laughs> of that, though, you had the Shia, Shiites or whatever we want to call the them. And, yeah, and the Shia works. Yeah, exactly. And the Sunnis who, mm-hmm. you know, wanted to kill each other. Um, you know, a lot of yeah. people in this country, I'm not sure if they understand the distinction there that mm-hmm. the, a lot of people think they're just all Muslims, but you have like Sunni Saudis and Shia Iranians who hate each right. other. Um, and, and that's yeah. kind of the genesis of it is deep down, those two sects mm-hmm. hate each other like crazy. And, and you're guarding both of them altogether. 
Yeah, and and the thing about that was, uh, I'm still trying to find this out. We not only did they have okay, everybody, in, every American soldier once they step foot on once they were boots on ground, Saddam Hussein threw a generic ten thousand dollar hit on every American soldier. It's just generic. Uh, yeah. You shoot, you kill an American, and we give you ten thousand dollars. Yep. Okay. Um, in the prison, we had a separate list of ten soldiers that had a. a I don't know what the uh, what the bounty was i'm pretty a i'm pretty sure i was on the list i in uh uh mr velvet red he was one of my team leaders um we had we were kind of competitive he was he was the pretty boy and i was the ornery prick i my attitude was as long as i was as long as i was higher up on the list than he was and i had a higher bounty than he did i i didn't care i was happy about that and i'm still I'm going to get my guy in the book. He's Mr. White. I'm going to get him to find out who had the higher bounty. I, as long as I have the higher bounty on my head than he did, I'm good. <laughs> okay. And here's the thing. No, no, no. Yeah, they no. hated me as much as they hated him, and I was only there half the time. So I should be, by that by that metric, I should be higher on the bounty list than he was. Yeah, you did a good job of earning a higher bounty, <laughs> as you described. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, the, and the thing about that was the, Su- the, the Sunni could riot whenever they wanted. The Shia had to really work hard to really plan out their riots. And the problem was we had one prisoner. His name was uh, Angry Speaker. He was down in Buka, and I swore as God is my witness, if I were to find out who brought, who transferred dirt, uh, Angry Speaker from Buka up to Cropper, I was going to beat the brakes off of him. Because here's the problem with Angry Speaker. He was able to trace his his family lineage directly back to Mohammed. He was untouchable yeah, in the prison. Right. As far as detainees getting him. The reason I'm always going to have a love in my heart for Mr. Velvet Red, angry speaker, because he was as bulletproof as what he was in the prison, he got really arrogant and he got really complacent. And uh, Velvet Red was my, he was my guy, dude. He, I, I loved him. But I still wanted to be on a, a higher on the list than he was as far as, you know, bounties. But, yeah, uh, Angry Speaker was not done negotiating with Velvet Red. Okay. He grabs he grabs his arm and, and Velvet Red, he said, oh, that's a bad idea. <laughs> he gra- he reaches around, grabs his arm. Now, he's in that, that the, you, got the, you know, they got the two big main fence posts and there's about this much of a gap, just enough to get your shoulder through. Yeah. He yanks his arm. Velvet Red yanks his, his sh- to where his shoulder socket is all the way in, wedged in between the two fence posts. Oof. And Angry Speaker proceeds to eat an entire three-pound bottle of pepper spray. And then he gets thrown in the solitary cage. Yeah. And by the way, Velvet Red had been recording offenses and just marking people's names, and and they he just had a he they didn't know it, but they were on the waiting list to get in the 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 solitary cage. The waiting they list, threw, great. <laughs> and so so Velvet Red throws Angry Speaker in in the solitary cage. We're gonna ride, and you're like, go ahead. I literally, I was I was the bad guy. I was the enforcer. I was Spazmaster Flex. I said. Go ahead. You, we've been wanting to adjust your attitude. We've been wanting to adjust your attitude. And then they shut up. And then they threaten again. And I'd be like, go ahead. We want to adjust your attitude. Then they'd shut up. 
So yeah, he he was he it was like thunder and lightning us. We were it was it was it was so much fun. <laughs> considering how dysfunctional it was. Yeah, I was going to say fun in a very perverse sick way, right? Yes, it's yeah, called gallows humor. It's how you cope. Yeah, it's yes. a coping mechanism. Yeah, and, and that, that's a good point. And speaking of coping and such, uh, the two of the, the bigger incidents that really mm-hmm. kind of uh, led you to have to find ways to cope, I guess, was mm-hmm. the, uh, the the two teen tainers who ended up getting murdered, um, mm-hmm. sort of on your watch there. and. Um, we don't oh, have to no, go into one of them happened on my watch. Yeah. One of them happened on another guy's watch. I got to make that okay. Because okay, that one, that one was the first one was easy for me because that kid got himself killed, but my buddy Mister White it messed his head up because it happened on his watch. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, we've been talking to each other about that for a while. It's it it because he was my team leader and he was a professional the way he was. He would never admit to me for years that it hurt him. But he finally, during the collaborative process, admit that it hurt him. Yeah. 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 No. And uh, people can read in the book about what happened there. It was, uh, you know, as messed up as everything you've been talking about already in this uh, podcast. Just, Mm -hmm. just, you know, the crazy shit that happened over there. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's fast forward, if you wouldn't mind, Gene. Um, You know, Mm because we could talk about your experiences over there forever. I mean, heck, the book is 400 pages. There's an awful lot Mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, you're talking about just just the crazy, crazy crap that took place. But Mm -hmm. um, for for years, um, it it took you a while to be able to kind of work your way through a lot of what happened over there. And um, before you started turning a page, I guess you might say. Mm-hmm. So uh, kind of kind of describe for us, if you would. I'm sure listeners would love to hear more about how you processed all that. Well, here's the problem with the second Juvie murder. It happened on my watch. Okay, first of all. Yeah. So I took it personally. And the thing is, what it did was, it's like an engine block that grenades, you know, where it just, you, you'll have a piston, like you'll have a connecting rod fly out of the block and, and embed itself in a brick wall. And, you know. Yeah. It destroyed my confidence and my ability to make decisions because it's like it happened on my watch for one. The kid, okay, the kid who killed the second juvenile was being recruited by the TAC Fury, who are basically the Muslim equivalent of atheists and anarchists. Yeah, they're they are cuckoo for something a whole lot different than cocoa puffs. And let me let me give you a little just to, just an idea how bad it is. If uh. Uh, the, the Wahhabi and the, and the Salafi are the religious ruling class of the Sudi side of the House of Islam. They run the Sudi side of the House of Islam. Their attitude is, and I quote, it's our world, you're living in it, convert or die. Okay? Hmm. If they had a choice between shooting a tack fury and a Yankee infidel, and they only got one round left, they're shooting the tack fury. That's how hated, that's how hated the tack fury are on the Sunni side of the House of Islam. The the tag fury were going after the kid that killed the second juvenile. And the crazy thing was I had a good functioning relationship with him. Yeah. So when they finally got him, my question was, when did they really convert him? Because if they converted him right away, we all got played. Right. Yeah, this is a kid you said you had a good relationship with who one day just said, hey, I can't talk to you anymore, Gene, or whatever he called you. He literally said he couldn't talk to me anymore, and I I actually had hateful – I wanted to start killing Tack Fury. Yeah. Like like breaking necks and pink-misting him, some of these turds. But yeah, the the problem with the first UNL murder, he got himself killed. He would literally, literally narc out Sharia court members in front of everybody. You can't yep. keep 
kids from getting themselves. You can't keep them from doing stupid things that they want to do stupid things. Yeah. And this Sharia court was holding. It's how they enforced order in the prison. And they did yeah. it violently, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The, yeah, we, we're all familiar with how Iranians treat their own people, you know. Yeah. And it was the same thing in the prison, which is kind of nuts. Right. And and the, and the thing for me, the problem I always, the, the, the problem always was I felt like I had to be honorable and take the blame because the douchebags and the talk would never do it. Yeah. They would never do it. So I felt like I was being honorable and filling in that void for one. And for two, it's like when you're dying, you're following a diagnostic trouble tree and fixing a car. You're always checking specs. You're always saying, yes, go to this, do this series of tests. Do No, do this series of tests. It was like I could not trust myself because that kid died on my watch. It, it, it just yeah. played over and over and over and over and over. And I spent years waking up, crying and screaming and throwing things, you know, and and I had my guys having to tell me, you did the best you could with the information you had and the garbage leadership that you had. I'm still struggling with it, but I'm getting there. And this program I'm doing, hopefully it'll treat the stroke that I apparently had in, in, in Toledo Ladder. Because the problem with this and the processing was, I was in three different units on that second deployment. Yeah. What happened in Baghdad was the first part of the deployment. And the trauma and the dysfunction, it's it's like uh, uh, adhesive that you use to seal stuff, you know, like seal water gasket, water pump gaskets, right? Yeah. You put you put it on there, you bolt it on, and it the 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 it cures. The trauma and this dysfunction, the first part of the deployment cured over the other, the rest of the deployment. So it was just, I numbed out and it became that much harder to process and deal with stuff. I wasn't taken home right away and dealt with and helped. I stayed over there and the trauma just cured. That's been the problem and no amount of counseling. and, and, And the counseling that you get from the VA and certain counseling services is just rudimentary, basic crap. And it's not really effective. Yeah, because it's done lazily. It's done in a really lazy manner. They don't care flat out. They don't care. Mm. So it's been doing everything on my own with my guys as best as they can tolerate me. Talking with friends and just talking through it and talking through it and talking through it, where they don't talk to me like I'm an idiot. When this and the because VA doctors and and counselors they talk they treat you like you're an idiot, Wait, which is amazing. You. Yeah, which is amazing considering they. Your their clients, so to speak, these veterans are. Yeah. I mean, this should be right in their wheelhouse. They they should know better than anybody how to talk to veterans, and well, and, no, and they're that's not. The thing, yeah, they are actually. They are actually the VA is actually used to train doctors, and we're just what the, we're just the guinea pigs that they train on. It's yeah, literally exactly. It's literally how it is. That's what the secretary of the VA in California said, whichever whichever secretary that was. Yeah. The VA is there to tr- to create doctors, and we're the veterans are what we are are, are the practice dummies. They are it's scary. That's the truth. Yeah, no, that, that's it's. I mean, it's, I, it's, I don't it's know incredibly saw, sad. Yeah, I, I sent a video to my publicist Ross to send to you, where one of my guys, his name is Chad Chase. He, I literally interviewed him when I had a podcast. Um, he literally told me that VA doctors, that his VA doctor said. If you're not going to listen to me, I need you. To, you just need to kill yourself. And he prescribed him enough morphine to kill himself. Jesus, literally. 
What the hell? So, yeah, as far as the processing part, I'm on my own. All of us as veterans who have been downrange and been through that level of trauma, essentially we're, yeah. on, we're on our own because the VA does not care. They're too stupid and lazy to care because they know we're all we're all we're a captive audience, so to speak. Right. So as far as processing, it's writing like this. It's it's talking with your friends as best you can. It's and it, you just do what you can. And then when you find out you have, a, you have a stroke, you find a way to treat that. Right. So yeah, we're we're essentially on our own, and I'm just working through it and working through it and working through it in the most slow, painful process possible. To because I'm on my own. The VA is worthless. Yeah. They're, they're, they, if they were worthless, that would be an upgrade. So there you go. <laughs> right. Okay, perfect. Um, so you you had this stroke supposedly in 2019 after having been discharged in what was it, like 2015? No. Well, okay. was it? It was or? either in – I don't think it was in 2019. Okay. It, they said it was a really old stroke. Oh, okay, yeah. Which would have been – okay, in the book it was the EFP the, – what I think it was the EFP that blew up outside of a little base called FOB Delta. Yeah. Okay. We violated, a, a, and that's in the book. It's yep. when it was the brand, brand, brand spanking new MRAP that had, wait for it, functioning air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> it had functioning air conditioning because it was a, it was an ambulance, so you, the, the the patient had to be kept reasonably cool. Yeah. So because we didn't have any patients in it at the time, we just t- took cardboard pieces and redirected the AC into the front where we were. Hmm. But yeah, the, so what happened with, with that was the EFP, we we stopped, somebody stopped in front of, because I'm at the, the ambulance is almost at completely at the back of the convoy, okay? Right. And we violated a, a cardinal rule of the convoy where you don't stop outside the front gate, but we stopped outside the front gate. The IED slash EFP goes off. Yeah, and you don't stop because it makes you a target. Yeah. Yeah, you're a sitting duck. Right. So it goes off. I instinctively grab the steering wheel. It rattles my eyes and my sockets, and it rattles my colon and my gut. It just literally, I felt a, you know, literal inside my body vibrating sensation, and my eyes were just, just rattling in my skull. Okay. So that's our theory on when the stroke happened. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Gotcha. Yeah. Horrific. And but, we were literally, I was literally disoriented for like 15 to 30 seconds and we needed it anyways because we weren't moving anyways. Yeah. But I was disoriented all to hell. And and you get you go talk to a medic and the typical response is, you know, take a knee, drink water and, and take Motrin. That's their, you could have the bubonic plague and, and thermonuclear irradiated crabs from the crotch of Godzilla and they tell you to take Motrin. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, unlike when, uh, or, or kind of like when I uh, you know, played high school sports and you got, mm-hmm. we, we called it getting your bell rung, you know, today yeah. it's like, oh, they, yeah. they, today they take these kids with concussions and it's always, mm-hmm. you know, take them out, you know, don't take any chances. Back then mm-hmm. they'd give you some smelling salts and boom, you're at, back on the field. You're back and in I'm, there. Yeah. I'm sure they said, hey, okay, you, you got your bell rung there, Gene. Okay. You, you're good Motrin. now? Okay. Drive on. Yeah. Motrin, drive on. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, so, but you said you're you're kind of on your own with, with doing all this because you know mm-hmm. how how worthless the VA is. Um, mm-hmm. You've taken a lot of other positive steps in your life, though. You were telling me off air before we got started mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Well, the, the the only the thing about it is I'm taking the positive steps because two of my guys, one guy who's a fellow veteran author, and he literally autographed it 
Uh, it's, never mind, it's in the closet. He literally autographed his book. He said, hurry your ass up and get your book done. Mm. Right. And the other guy in, in the book, he was Mr. Blonde. He had beaten um, he had beaten bone cancer sometime before 2019, right. roughly 2018, 2019 time frame, I want to say. He caught COVID, and it, it brought back his 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 bone cancer for a rematch. And he said to the VA, the, the mouth breathing simpleton VA doctors in Boston, I want to say, he said to them, "I don't want to do chemo. I want to go holistic." They chemoed him to death. Really? Okay. So, and, and my other guy, the way he died, it took him three weeks to find his body. But be, and he even did a TED talk on suicide, but. There are certain people in the situation who would never allow me to say that because they, they thought it would make him look bad. He, I would literally walk around lacrosse, Wisconsin with him while he talked with me about his suicidal ideations. But we can't talk about the fact that he may have committed suicide because it took him three weeks to find his body. Well, okay. That's, that's messed up. Well, and that's the thing. that That's the part of the problem with the veteran community is you got certain yeah. uh, members – of the gold stars and the spec ops community that can, they, they walk around like Karen's and Kyle's who think they're the prom queen and King and they can do whatever they want and they can disrespect whoever they want because they're spec ops and gold stars. You can't tell them a damn thing. It's they're like, they're like the Wahhabis. It's their world and we're all just living in it. Hmm. And they crapped all over my friend. They crapped all over me. So everything I'm doing is for my guys. It's right. for my guys and and to help the veteran community the way I did it, but smarter. And it's it's also the getting it properly published. Once I find a, a proper publisher and I can get it worked out, um, it's all going to be atonement for my guys because I did not get the book published before they died, and I I can't live with it. I've never been able to live with it. It's killed me. It is killing me. Yeah, brutal. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. So um. You know, you, you mentioned in the beginning of the book how you know the mm. point behind the book was mm. obviously you know the c- civilians in this country who don't quite mm. understand what yeah. is going on. Uh, it sounds like you got dual purposes though with, with the book. There. Oh yeah, I mean, not, yeah, I mean, yeah or maybe yeah. more than dual. Um, you know, I mean, part of it is a little bit you're e- exposing some of the shit that took place. And I, I know a lot of people, you know, you always you hear about, you know, having each other's backs, band of brothers, mm-hmm. all this other crap. You, you've probably taken some shit on some level from mm-hmm. some, some higher ups who are saying, Gene, you can't talk about this. And oh, I get that all the time because, yeah. because the brass want the, po- the dog and pony show because that's all they're capable of. They're, yeah. they're capable of doing the dog and pony show. They're capable of, you know – following what orders they're given and they, they need them. And uh, well, okay. They need the romanticized version of what we are, you know, the dog and pony show we march and then we come back and it's like, there's nothing wrong. And, you know, I'm, I'm the, I've always been the, the, the guy who says the quiet part out loud, but I'm just likable enough to not, jettison you know what i'm saying and it, hey you're homer simpson I'll do the work. yeah right <laughs> i'll do the damn work yeah I, I i can work hard enough to make myself likable enough to be useful but i'm still gonna say the quiet part out loud consistently enough where he doesn't he doesn't play games he he's very right blunt forward real get it done and get out so all this stuff i'm doing is for my guys that are struggling who don't want to be 
subject of the to the dog and pony show where like 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 in the church it's like you're you're trotted out on all the patriotic holidays and in, in society we're trotted out on all the patriotic holidays and they throw some coupons at us and they throw some discounts at us and hey have a nice day blah 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 right. that's it where we just want to be understood and listened to to where you're when you're ready to hear something other than the dog and pony show bs uh, America's just not ready for something other than the dog and pony show BS. That's the problem. We want them hmm. to be like, we're getting really bored with this crap. We need to, I'll go talk to him because I know he'll give it to me straight. Right. I know, and he'll find other people to help give it to me straight if I, if he needs to. Yeah. You know, so that, that's been my role. And, and, and getting the veteran, getting all my projects launched is to help the veteran get comfortable enough to talk to the civilian in that way. To where the civilian is like, oh, we need to have a talk about this. Right? Is this the dysfunction you're doing? We're not looking at the dog and pony show. Yes, that, that's how this works. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I yeah. think what's important to point out is that you're not pulling an Edward Snowden here. You're not like giving no. away state secrets here or anything. Exactly. Like that. Those people, right. you can you can be as right as you think you are, but when you're giving away state secrets to the point where you're putting lives in danger just to make yourself look good, right. and get yourself some attention. There's nothing groundbreaking about what I'm talking about. All this stuff is as old as time as far as how we conduct business in war. Right. There's nothing revolutionary about saying stay in the fence or I'm going to shoot you. There's nothing revolutionary about, you know, about if you try to come through that fence, I'm going to shoot you. Yeah. You know, the, 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 I'm not trying to 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 put people at risk. I mean, I'll put feelings at risk. I'll put reputation at risk. That's fine. Yeah. Different story. But not yeah. lives. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. So so moving forward, what what, mm-hmm. would, what kind of steps need to be taken, uh, whether it's from the public, whether it's from the mm-hmm. the brass? Um, I mean, in your view, what what needs to be done to rectify some of this there, so you can properly respect the the service that has been given by so many of our veterans? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let me start. Yeah. Okay. First thing that needs to happen is the veteran community. I don't know if you realize this, but uh, I know you realize it, but I'm just, we are on the verge of World War III. Okay. And I've been lately, uh, really started on my birthday last year in December. I got into some good, good old fashioned soul searching. I need to be a part of this as far as reconciliation. We need the veteran community, first of all, needs to stop eating itself alive in the name of, of, of proving loyalty. Right. And the veteran, it needs to start with the veteran community, you know, where we stop eating each other alive and we start talking to each other. Because here's the thing, we're going to have new veterans coming home from a world war. So they are bringing, they're going to be bringing some grade A fresh dysfunction and trauma with them. Yeah. Now the veteran community, we would say to each other like this, I'm not trying to sing Kumbaya with you jackasses. I'm simply trying to get us communicating and work with and working better together to where we can help the new veterans. We're the old heads. We don't want to admit we're old, but we're the old heads. We need to be ready to help the young the young kids who are coming home with all that fresh dis- trauma and dysfunction of transitioning from from asymmetrical warfare back to good old fashioned blunt tr- force trauma, force on force warfare. Right. Okay, because we're transitioning back to that, um, and 
We need to be there to help them, which means we need to be better at communicating together and, and coordinating together to get them to a place where we can be of help to them. We It's like the parents being like, okay, we got to love each other enough to stay together for the kids to get them through this. Yeah. As much as it sucks, we got – we. First thing we got to do is we got to stop killing each other in the name of proving loyalty and talk to each other, not at each other. Okay. Sure. Second thing we got to do is we had to sit down and have a talk with the civilians and say, this is how it really is when you're not being distracted by the dog and pony show. I am currently working with my congressional uh, veteran liaison to present a proposal to where we're just going to turn the VA. I'm going to turn my care into modularize my own personal health account my own personal insurance account or I can just take it wherever I want. Oh boy, man. I'm making them hate me enough to their work to their, where they're willing to, to listen to that. And what, yeah, it's going to have to take the ultimate in radicalization. If you will, I'm going to say this. Yeah. I'm going to say this. Yep. I'm going to say this. Okay. Whatever committee chairs veterans affairs. Here's my solution. Here's how I want to do this. Okay. You take every single member of that committee. You strip the entire committee of their oversight. If one of them lives in New York, we're going to get every every committee member is going to get their own C-130. I'm not joking. Listen to me carefully. Okay. Every member of of that committee is going to get a C-130. One of those old ass, and I'm going to make them do combat drops so they're barfing their guts out by the time they land. Right. Okay. If, if there's a committee member in New York, he is being sent to the worst shithole hospital in a VA hospital in Arizona. Okay. Or whatever. Yeah. They will be stripped of their insurance. And I'm going to, uh, the, the direct order I'm going to give these doctors is treat these, these, they, they have no, they have no influence. They have no power. Nobody in the Congress can act on their behalf or exert influence in any way, shape or form. Okay. Right. And and you will say to them, you were to treat them as disrespectfully and stupidly as you would treat us veterans who are screaming at you to give us quality care. And I guarantee you, they'll kill off half of that committee. Yeah. Just <laughs> just just out of just out of criminal neglect and apathy, they will kill off half of that committee. You you again, you 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 ship that Congress person, man, woman, individual as far away from their sphere of influence as humanly possible. Yeah. Hell, I'd ship her off to, I'd ship one of them off to Hawaii. To, you know what I'm saying? Oh, that's too nice. Have you seen the cost of living in Hawaii? It's well, horrible. That's, no, that's another story. You yeah. ship them as far away from their sphere of influence as possible. You strip them of their authority. You strip them of their insurance and you tell the doctors, you treat them the way you, you, you crap all over them, the way you've been crapping all over, all over the rest of us as veterans. And once they have, once the VA has killed off half that community, you bring them back together. Okay. We're putting veterans who have been in the system in their place. And then you start making recommendations. Right. Okay. And then what I would do, honestly, destroy the VA health, destroy the entire healthcare system. You convert every single uh, veteran's account into an insurance policy. Now, I've got a couple of veteran guys I used to talk to that, oh, leave mine alone. Well, now I really want to screw with it because you don't. You demonstrate that you don't care about the rest of us. You, as long as you get your good care, 
we can die and you don't care. I know, I know one guy I could say it to his face mm. and he wouldn't even get, he wouldn't even get, he wouldn't even challenge me because I'd pound him into a pulp. But anyways, no, it's time to, stri- to destroy it, turn them all into, okay, here's the key. We have to turn, turn them into insurance accounts that the public will accept, that the that, that public yeah. uh, position, because the V, they, I have, I've been ba- damn near bankrupted. I've got friends who have been bankrupted by the V8, like, when I went through my diabetic coma in July 2019, my Wounded Warrior Project guy got pissed off because we submitted all the paperwork properly with more than enough time to spare. They literally started coming after me with I lost count at $65,000 worth of bills, which they ultimately pawned off on the state of New Jersey because they couldn't come after me. Hmm. So make it, make them insure, like whatever, whatever, however the Cadillac care that the that the congress is getting you set it up like that for us right you know well and and you talk about pawning it off onto new jersey i mean in a way they need to maybe take that whole va package and roll it into something already exists and upgrade it it's called medicare now but you need to upgrade it from that so Mm -hmm. that it it is something that is something people want you know obviously it's not just that it's what the doctors and the other healthcare networks will actually accept because like literally, I, I had one bill I had to pay, and and they told me the VA flat out said to us, "We won't pay it. Put it on him." So yeah, they they've hmm. literally done that. So yeah. it needs to be something that the rest of the healthcare community, as far as insurance accounts, will accept. Yeah. So basically, we need to find out how the congressman's uh, health, those Cadillac healthcare accounts are set up, and we need to set them up exactly like that, and we have to strip every single member of Congress of their health care, I would not be heartbroken over that. I don't Promise think, you I wouldn't. I don't think uh, 99.999% of Americans would care either. So, Right. I mean, I'm always amazed when I hear that Congress actually has their own health care plan. It's like, what, Dude, what the hell? Yeah. They, you know what they had when they started, like way back when the Congress was first formed? No. All they got was per diem. Yeah. Like for food. Right, right. That's all they got. Yep. And now they give themselves performance-based raises. Right. Well, find me a servant that give themselves raises that are, that are, no. It's time, it's time to strip. We just need to strip them of everything and go back to per diem. Yeah. Forget that and term limits. Strip them of everything and take them all the way back to per diem. Yeah. No, and we definitely need time uh, term limits on. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. when I you hear about some of these guys who've been in Congress for 30, 40 years, it's, it's like, come on, man. This is, you're not here for any service purposes, but that, that's a whole nother discussion we could have. Um, mm-hmm. So, okay. And, and what else would you, would you say needs to be done from there? Uh, okay. What we need, okay. What we need is a lot of uh, cross collaboration within the veteran community in, in the sense where there's a lot of, uh, okay, I'm going to mention the VFW and the American Legion. We're yeah. having. A, I, I've got a guy who's a post commander. I've got guys who have. We need to develop a left seat, right seat ride to where the older veterans and the younger veterans are talking to, to each other. I'm a GWAT guy. My dad's nom vet. I got a buddy who's GWAT, but he's a few years younger than me. And we got the younger kids. We need. Left seat, right seat ride in the VFW and the American Legion, where we are talking to each other and 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 understanding each other. We need that because here's the thing: I'm down in North Carolina. My dad's up north. There are times 
his PTSD and my PTSD don't mesh yeah. at all. Okay. We need to work on that simply because we're dying with the, the, the non-vets set up the VA. The civilian did what they do. No offense. The civilian did what they do best. They ruined it because you either got veterans that hate each, you got civilians that, that, that have an, a romanticized idea of what we're supposed to be. Like yeah. Greg, who was in the national guard or Jerry, who was in Korea, North Korea. No offense. You civilians don't have a contextualized idea of what we are. So it's, it's this, 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 this romanticized idea of what I'm supposed to be. No, you talk to me and understand me. And then the other thing we got to work on is we got to work on the dependents, you know, who are in the veteran community as guests who have kind of Linda, Becky, Cairned their way in. Yeah. And they start acting like they own the place. We need to grab them by the collar, walk them to the door and be like, come <laughs> back when you fixed your manners. Yeah, exactly. I, you know. Um, so it needs to be a lot of conversation where we get back to some basic risk. Remember when I said that, 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 that active listening is dead as a concept. Yeah. We need to take the shock paddles to that and bring it back like now. Yeah. We need active listening and not bludgeoning each other to death in the name of proving loyalty to make a comeback like right now. Cause again, Again, it goes back to I'm not trying to sing kumbaya with these jackasses, but we need to work together to get things fixed on a fundamental level. And we because the the kiddies from the from what's about to become World War Three are going to be coming home again with fresh dysfunction and trauma, and we're not we're not even close to being ready to deal with it. But we need to be taught the the. Sp- the the spec ops and the rangers and the and the gold stars need to come out down off their high horse and talk to us commoners. The the civilians need to just shut up and take notes, and the pogues need to maybe not. I, I'm I'm as combative as they come. I'm what's called the pogue people, other than grunts. We're the ones who support the infantry. Yeah, either directly, indirectly, whatever. Spec ops and the and and the and the and then and then and the rangers and all and the seals and all them and, and the and the um and the gold stars need to come off their high horse. The pogues need to stop being so nasty, arbitrarily combative, and I'm guilty of it. I'll own that. That's fine. Yeah. And we need to sit down, and the civilians need to come in. And sit down and shut up and take notes. And, and when you talk to somebody, there's two ways you need to speak. You need to speak as a master where you know or a student where you need to learn. Civilians, right. your students, get a notebook and a couple of pens. Because we're about, because I'm going to do what I do. I'm going to I'm gonna say the quiet part out loud and I'm going to piss people off to get the conversation going and get people pissed off to where we have where we get the angry stuff out of the way right away, and then we get to the sobering part where we figure out how we're going to work together. Nice. So there you go. Yep, we got to have the rabble-rouser for sure. Um, yeah, <laughs> front and center. Um, where, how, how are you going to continue r- rousing the rabble, so to speak? Um, I'm going to get my projects done first. Okay. Okay. I got to get a new manuscript laptop because I'm not trying to start old. I'm not just trying to start. It's going to be... The, I'm gonna get the. I'm gonna. I gotta find a way to get the book republished. I gotta talk with my publicist about that. And yeah. Yeah. That's gonna be a painful conversation. I gotta get my new manuscript laptop because I'm gonna be. Besides getting the book republished, I'm gonna do a part two, which is gonna be a lot of short stories, a cookbook, 
a writer's guide. So I'm not doing those three on a 12 year old laptop. No, no, not going to do it. Yeah. And then I'm going to get to the brick oven smoker because the plan is the, the cookbook is going to, the cookbook and the brick oven smoker have to be paired together because what's going to happen is the cookbook gets you from, I'm in my room right now. This is where I isolate the hardest. Yeah. Okay. This will get me, the cookbook will get me from my room into the kitchen, which is that way into the kitchen. The smoker gets me from my kitchen out of the house. And yes, I will rant. I, I have a rant against the uh, pellet smoker. Oh, do, the yeah. pellet smoker from a therapeutic standpoint is dumb. It is flat earth stupid. It is a fire and forget weapon. Fire and forget weapons do not treat PTSD. You have mo- constant monitoring and not being in the house and not being in your own head treats PTSD. Right. Okay. So I'm going to get that part done. Okay. What What's the point behind the cookbook and the... Uh, the, the it, treat, it helps yeah. you treat your isolation and it helps to rebuild your confidence and basic skills because you, you, mm. when okay. you're downrange and something traumatic happens... For me, it destroyed it destroyed my confidence and my ability to make decisions. So I'm rebuilding my ability to do something basic in the process of rebuilding my decision making abilities because nice. I don't trust them right now because that guy died on my watch and I always felt like the blood was on my hand because I thought my battalion commander was the most honorless, bloodless, soulless piece of subhuman crap I've ever met in my life, and she she wouldn't have never had the balls to come to me and say my leadership was my leadership was written in blood and you took the hit because I'm too honorless, bloodless and soulless to accept the blame. I'm sorry. She doesn't have the guts to say that because she's a coward. Yeah. Who is it? All I'm going to say is she not only did not lose rank, she picked up rank. Really? Jeez. Oh, we've wow. all got all, all my guys. I mean, I could see the smoke coming out of their ears from where I'm living. They were so pissed. Yeah. I'm still pissed about it. Like, like, I'm not saying I ball up my fist and cold cocker, but oh, the the oh my, I would be tested. God, what they, so, uh, insult to injury like crazy. I mean, because you're the one who took it, right? Yeah, you, you you so yeah, you got reamed for it. Yeah, back to my, my my projects will be. This is my contribution. What did you do? What are you doing? Right. Who are you collaborating with? Who are you working with? What are you creating to actually be helpful? And how can we put this stuff together to make it something workable for the new guys coming back? You know, so right. they can, because they need, when you come home from war, when you come home from a deployment with trauma, the, the, the healing process needs to begin, needs to begin immediately at the latest. Yeah, you bet. The longer you let it go, the more numbed out you're going to be, the harder it's going to be. And when you're, I've been walking around with an undiagnosed, uh, uh, um, stroke for 17 years now. I didn't get, I did not, they did not know I had a stroke until this last December wow. in UCLA. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, who dropped the ball there? And now the VA will blame me because they're, 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 I'm not going to say what they are because Ross told me not to use curse words. So, but you get my point. <laughs> right. So, yeah, we need to we need to start with each other. The, the civilians need to come in and, and like hey, we're we're just going to sit over here and we're just going to take notes, and then we'll come to you with the notes and you can help us modify the notes and then we can go yell at the VA for you. Hmm. We can okay, yeah. 
There you go. Okay. Well, that's actually, that was going to be my last question. It's the action item. That's, you know, obviously the listening is important. We all know we, we got to listen we better, need but then the to action be all item. All over, right? all over our congressman. I'm going to uh, give me, I got your phone number. I'm going to send you a couple of things that you can look at and you'd be like, this is what he showed me. Yeah. This is what he showed me. I'm, and if I can get, I interviewed a guy named Lewis. He, I met him. One of my female friends who's an actual, genuine friend of the uh, of the veteran community, she's female, she's a civilian, but she's awesome. She she said, you need to talk to this dude. I think he's going to commit suicide. He, I, called him, I called him up. I don't know how to – the only thing I figured out how to do was I said to him, I says, all right, where, what, what, kind of, what kind of handgun do you have? He says, like, I got a revolver. I says, where is it? He says, it's under my chin. I says, okay, can you can – you, move the cylinder out to where the where the rounds fall out and he's like no i won't this is all right okay will you put it on your lap so i can at least have a conversation with you where i'm not picturing it under your chin yeah no kidding he did that and then i talked him down yeah then he went into the va he was in the va hospital parking lot he went in and they sent him home what the yeah uh, and you, I can if I can find yeah. that interview. You can watch him having mini seizures every sixty to ninety seconds while I was interviewing him. Good God! Wow. And, and so, yeah, yeah, you can go armed with that. And like, what are you doing to fix this? Let me answer the question for you. Nothing, because I'm talking to my veteran guys, and they're saying you're less than worthless. So, yeah, that that's that's what we can do. And I'm doing this for all these guys that nobody's helping. And yeah. my problem is. Sticking up for my guys in the process of pro- publishing my book, when I went from writer slash protector of content to author slash marketer, by which I mean I couldn't market my way out of a paper bag if I didn't have a stroke, if yeah. I weren't walking around with stroke symptoms. But I had stroke symptoms, and it's like, it's like, it's like, I couldn't market my way out of a paper bag. Period. So that's where I got in trouble because all the people I pissed off are waiting for me to to make my life hell. So, yeah, the, the plan is get these guys. We need to get these guys in a place where we're helping them in a way where we're collaborating with each other to at least have a it's having a functioning relationship where we hate each other, but we can at least work together. Right. Nope, that's fair. I mean, you know, that's that's the problem with discourse in this country. I mean – you can be on opposite sides. You don't have to hate each other necessarily. You don't right. have to call each other names, but you got to find a way to compromise so he, so he can make some progress here. Again, and, active listening needs the shock paddles, needs the defibrillator paddles taken to it. If we're ever going to get you know to where we're actively listening to each other, yep, that's what it is. We need to bring that back like yesterday. Yeah, good, good. Well, Gene, this has been awesome. And not only talking to you, well, first of all, reading your book was quite the privilege. Um, uh, talking to you is even greater privilege. I, I love your passion for what you're trying to do. Um, mm. I hope listeners take it to heart and follow some of your advice. Um, let me ask, where can people get this book right now? Or is it this right is just now a it's kind on of, Amazon? That, it, okay. Actually, that's the old cover, the new cover. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm going to send you, okay, go to Amazon and look up We Did Not Deserve the Crapper, but I'm going to send you yeah. the link. I'll send you the link so you can order the new one, so you can have the new one. Perfect. And it, yeah, I'll send you that link. But go on, um, go on Amazon and look up. We did not deserve the crapper, the prison we entered but never left. Okay, by Gene and Bennett. Yes, by Gene Bennett. And I'm and I'm still working on getting in, uh, getting a publishing 
thing done to where it gets published properly because I have to atone for my guys. Yep. I love and it. then we've got to turn this, and not only that, but we've got to turn this into the launch pad for all the other projects so we can have all this stuff going on. So we can, we're going to, what we're going to do, we're going to help the veteran rebuild his confidence, his or her confidence in, in the basic skill that is cooking. We're going to help them write. We're going to teach them how to shove maximum amount of comfort food down their throat so they're functional. And we're going to get them in some kind of counseling where they're actually listened to, which means we ain't sure, we sure as hell not sending them to the VA right now. Right. Okay. And we're going to get each other talking to each other and not at each other. We're going to drag, we're going to, again, we're going to bring, we're going to revive active listening skills. Yeah. Our, our, and, and, and listening skills, active listening skills. That's, that's what we're going to do. Yep. So we can talk to each other, start, Talk, start collaborating effectively and start solving problems because we need to do it for us. And we got fresh trauma and dysfunction on the way in the way of World War Three. Yeah. There you go. Yep. I love it. That, that's that's great. Good summation right there. Um, aside from the book here, Gene, where, where can people find you uh, out in the social media world or online? Whatever? I am uh, Mickey Severson on Facebook. I'm going to get off my dead carcass and get um, uh, my Instagram back up and running. I'm gonna. I'm on X right now as Mickey Searson, but I, I haven't been on there in a while. I'm gonna. Re- I got a buddy I'm gonna talk with, and he's gonna help me revive my social media uh, 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 profile. But right Good. now I'm on. I'm on face Mickey Severson on Facebook. That's where I'm at right now. Okay. Uh, that's what I'm primarily doing right now. Uh, I'm working. I'm working with a couple people. Uh, I gotta talk to Kurt Balash, uh, a guy named C.J. Adolph. He runs a. He runs a VFW down in Texas, and. He's as ornery and crazy as I am, but his beard game is much better. His I had to trim my beard because I woke up one morning and it was in my mouth. And I'm, you know, so <laughs> no, his beard game is a CJ Adolph. He's on my Facebook friendship page. He's he he's lovable underneath all the attitude, and his beard game is really nice. Wow, his beard, his beard game is really nice. All right, and so yeah, yeah. I'll look it up just, just for that for right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey, how do you spell Severson? By the way. S-C-V-E-R-S-O-N. Okay. Now, the reason for that, my, I was born on my father's birthday. Yeah, that's a great story. And that's my mother's fault. Right. She was watching the Mickey Mouse Club, and she was high on a kite on uh, on painkillers because um, I was normally pain in the ass, and I'm like, dude, I ain't coming out. This is this is the dumpster fire. I ain't coming out. No, no, no. So she was watching the Mickey Mouse Club. I was high as, while well, she was high as a kite on painkillers, and she said, do you want to be called Mickey? Apparently, I kicked once for ES, so it's really my fault. I've been I've been emotionally confused since I was a fetus, so right, right. take that for what it's worth. Yeah. So that's how that happened. Yeah. And my mother's side of the family hates my father so much, they only called me Eugene twice, twice in my entire life, and it was when they were pissed off at me. Yeah, right. So, yeah, I've always been Mickey because Gene is bad, 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 pain in the ass, did something stu- stupid, did something wrong. Mickey was when I was good. Yeah, so, yeah, it was. I've been confused since I was a fetus. So there you go. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, and it was great in those days. That's what they would do to moms is just load them up with painkillers. In my mom's case, I guess she smoked a pack of cigarettes in the delivery room when I was born. So right, th- that's what right. was done back then. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, Gene slash Mickey, uh, absolutely awesome. Uh, great honor getting to speak with you, and um, I will include your contacts in the show notes. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, please come back to me when that cookbook is ready to go. Um, whether you need an editor or you just want to get the word out about it, uh, please I want to get know. the word out, and I want to see if I can find a secondary publishing option that's not like Amazon, because uh, Jeff Bezos, based on what he did to Rings of Power, I'm not surprised at how piss poor. Amazon KDP has been for me because you have to basically have a, a, a full on publishing team to get anything done, you know, and Jeff Bezos, again, between rings of because of rings of power, I know now why I literally went on X and asked, I literally tagged them both. I'm like, dude, just sell Katie Amazon KDP to, to, to Elon Musk and let him fix it because you're clearly too stupid to do it yourself. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, but that's a story I, for another time. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know about any of but these yeah, guys in that I'll power. be back on with the cookbook, the writer's guide, a possible volume two, a possible firearms for dummies guide from an old, old, old friend, from hmm. one of my friends that's in the book. Yeah. And that I, I, once I get that whole, mo, at least, okay, at the very least, if I, once I get the cookbook and the brick oven smoker done, I'll be back on with progress reports on the other two. Awesome. Well, that's I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's me it too. <laughs> awful lot of fun to, to read this uh, first effort of yours here, mm-hmm. and I hope a lot of other people take up the offer here to, to, to read it as well because it is it is very eye opening if nothing else. So, thank you so much for your time here. This has been, like I say, a great honor. Thank you. You bet. What can you say? This man has seen and gone through a gauntlet of horrors, but it's awesome to see how Gene is pulling himself back up and trying to bring other veterans up with him. Again, his book is We Did Not Deserve the Crapper, The Prison We Entered But Never Fully Left, which you can find on Amazon. It's an amazing read. And drop me a message at silly underscore billy at msn.com or on Facebook or Instagram messengers if you might be interested in being one of the inaugural 10 individuals in the Be Positive Runners community. Thank you to Gene, and thanks to all of you for listening to the We Are Superman podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you can load all new episodes onto your phone. And if you enjoy the podcast, the best thing you can do is share it with your friends or on social media. And please do me a favor and take 60 seconds, just that, and give us a five-star rating on whatever platform on which you listen to us. And I would also be humbly honored if you would write a review as well. These five-star ratings and reviews really do help us make more episodes and rise higher in the podcast services search algorithms, helping more people find our show. Until next time, always be positive. 